Lord, I know you grieve this as well. I pray for the staff and the office bearers and the members of gospel community, especially those that are showing up face to face because they're going to hear news today that they don't want to hear. Lord, you know the staff's been aware and the office bearers have been aware, but telling the people is hard. So I ask that you give Doug the grace that he needs, the words that he needs to speak to people when he knows he's bringing them something that they're going to grieve. Lord, help me transition to speak your word to your people. I ask you to stand in my shoes, to give me your thoughts and to speak with your mouth so that your people hear your message for us, not my message for them. Join us, be blessed by it, as we worship you and you instruct us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of really good stuff in there, and this sounds good, we love these things, but just like everything that Jesus says, there's some wonderful things in it, and there's some things that are hard. And it even sounds like, just so you know, this first pericope, spelled like pericope, um, this first section, this couple of paragraphs about do not judge, it almost sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. From the first line, do not judge, or you too will be judged, to the last line, do not give, do not give, do, uh, do not, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw per pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them. So don't judge, but here's a group of people that you're not supposed to interact with. So what, what's he getting at? So I just want you to know I acknowledge that and we'll, we'll talk through that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole, the whole chapter straight through and then we'll go back and comment. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then, see, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and that's a key line in this whole chapter. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock, on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the ho that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who, who, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, one comment on that last verse. Everyone that was a rabbi of that time they got their authority from the rabbi that they studied under and the rabbi that their rabbi studied under. So it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like your credibility comes from someone who has already been given credibility. It doesn't come from yourself. So whenever you, you read that he spoke like one who had authority, Jesus doesn't say, as my mentor said, or as my dad said, he does often say, as my father in heaven, I only say what my father in heaven would have me say, but he's, he's claiming divine authority, not human authority. And for the people to recognize that is quite, quite, quite substantial. It's quite amazing that they recognize that he wasn't getting his wisdom from other men, but he was getting his, he had his wisdom in and of himself. Now, a couple of things about the, the, the last little thing, the wise and foolish builders, the on a rock and on the sand. Any of you who have been builders, any of you who have built anything, you know that, that in modern terms, that does not make sense, that you want to build on sand. Actually, sand compacts really well. Sand holds cement really well. Sand is moldable and movable, and you can take it out easily and put your foundation where it belongs. But in, in the Middle East, it's very rocky territory and the sand that you find smooth sand like you might find on a beach or you might find on a dune um, the the only place you find smooth sand is at the the washout point of a of a wadi and a wadi is basically this it's a it's a it's a pond or a lake that is filled for a certain time during the rainy season when it rains up in the mountains and you get a flash flood that comes down the crevices, it follows the fault line or it follows the, the gravitational line that the, and, and it comes down and it fills up this spot suddenly, washes everything away and leaves sediment on the ground. So when Jesus is saying that, that a wise man builds on the rock and not on the sand, well, if you build on the sand because it's easy to build on the sand, when the storms come and they do come, you're doomed. 
So to do the easy thing up front will lead to destruction. To do the hard thing up front, which is to build on a non-levelable ground, on, to build on rock and, and, and crevices and all that kind of stuff. I've been to Colorado when my daughter got married. We, we, a friend of mine's sister owned a house in the mountains. And when you go into the basement, because water was a problem over there, you, you, you Water rights were in trouble, so everyone has this huge, I mean, there was like a, I don't know how many gallons it was, but it was just, it was, it's like four major hot tubs, but in a big plastic container, and they had water shipped in. And I just found that curious, so I, I, I went down to see the water level, to see if after the week we had to, um, uh, we had to order more water so that when they showed up, there was enough water for them, the people that own the house. And I was just blown away because the foundation of that house, this whole side, here's this big tank, this whole side was mountain. It wasn't a wall. It was a wall, but it was a mountain. They just built it into the mountain or used the mountain as structure. It, I've never seen anything like it because I, when I grew up, I, uh, when we in, in, in East Grand Rapids, the house that my parents bought in 72, um, at that point, that house was 114 years old. It, the, the guy who Reeds Lake was named after built the house that I grew up in. And it had a Michigan basement with a huge Holland Furnace spider. You got, some of you have seen those, right? When you had to duck under the flues. But it was a nasty basement. It, had, it smelled dank, and it, and it had stone just kind of cobbled together in there, and it leaked like crazy. That's the roughest kind of foundation I've ever seen until I showed up in Colorado and I saw a mountain as a wall. That must have been very difficult to build. And Jesus is saying to you and I that if we hear his words and put them into practice, we are like wise builders who do the hard thing up front knowing that it blesses in the long run. Or if we hear his words, we know his words, and we do not put them into practice, we are like foolish people. And foolish people tend to do what's easy now and don't consider the cost. Jesus says this other places as well, things like this. He says, to, don't be like a foolish man who fails to count the cost before he builds. Because it's very foolish to get partway through a build and run out of money. Because then you have something that you've erected that isn't weatherproof, and it ends up just dying and rotting. If you think about what Jesus says when he talks about storing up treasure in heaven, because everything on this earth will fade and fall and rot and die. But I want you to notice one thing. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came. The streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because its foundation was on the rock. The winds blew, the streams rose up, and the winds howled. There's nothing that Jesus promises about happy, happy, joy, joy. Everything's going to be fine all the time. In this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, he says. Moving backwards, a tree and its fruit, no good tree bears bad fruit, and you know a tree by its fruit. That kind of seems to go against, do not judge lest you will be judged, but here, judge, judge by its fruit. So what's he getting at? This whole chapter is really about discernment, 
It's about seeing through God's eyes what is good and right and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. And one of the, the things he starts with is in order to see what's good and right and excellent and, 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 and praiseworthy, is to self-examine. First and foremost, the person God wants to work on is me. First and foremost, the sin he wants to address is mine. First and foremost, the person who must be humbled by God is me. Then and only then can I have his eyes to see his desire, his will, his plan for others. And he says, you, whatever measure you use to judge, that, will be used, that measure will be used to judge you. Think about this for a second. We don't measure, we just trust the package, right? You look on the back, 12.2 ounces of whatever. So one pound of broccoli. Oh, do you ever take it home and measure it and see if you got your money's worth? But it is possible, isn't it, that they could say for a while, they could say it's a pound and you get 14 ounces? That's what people used to do in the marketplace. They would have these, these scales. You all used to remember the scales of justice. You see those, right? They would have these scales, and, and they had these little blocks, either of wood or brass, or depending on the weight, uh, and, and it was their measure. And it had a number on it, or it had a, a marking on it that says, this is worth whatever weight, whatever value. And they would put it on the scale, and then they would measure out whatever you're buying from them, whether it be grain or fruit or figs or something. Um, and when it balanced, you believe that you're getting that amount. But just like some baseball players corked their bats, they corked their measure. And so if you cheat people, you will be treated like a cheat. If you don't have the integrity to say what you're doing, then you will be treated as someone who does not have integrity. How do you know? Well, have you ever been you ever been mistreated by someone or, well, I'll give you an example. And I'm not saying this of Sears and Roebuck Company as a whole. But several years ago on Christmas Eve, there was a blizzard here. It's before I got here. And I needed a snowblower because I snowblow most of my, um, most of my neighborhood. And um, my, my snowblower was dead. It was dead. I had been fixing it too many times. Just, I'm done. I'm buying a new one. First time in my life, I'm going to buy a new one. So I, my friend Ty, he had a truck at the time. I did not. And he drove me over to Sears. I'd done my research, and I walked in, and I said, I want that snowblower right there. And I had green cash money for it, including the, uh, the, the, the taxes. And Christmas Eve, there was a Saturday. The first time they're going to be open is Monday. It's 6 o'clock in the evening, and I have snowblowing to do. I can't sell you that snowblower. Oh, why? Does it work? Is it just a floor mount? No, it works. I can have one here for you on Monday. Well, why won't you sell me that one? I have money for it. Well, because then I wouldn't be able to show anybody else a snowblower. Well, there's two more just like it on the side of it, but they were different horsepower. Just say it's like this one and this one, except it's in between. Nope. So very frustrated, stayed Christian about it. I laid out the money on the counter and I said, you're going to let me take this $617 or whatever it is down to your competitor and buy something today. I am. So I called on my phone right there to Lowe's while she's listening and asked, will you sell me a snowblower? 
Yes. Will you have it waiting out front for me? I have green cash money for it. This is the one I want. Yes. Took up my money, drove over there. They put it in the back of the truck for me. I gave him cash. I got a receipt. Done deal. I felt very mistreated as a consumer, and I've never been back to Sears since. How about you? You ever had situations like that? I'm not saying that I did right. I'm just saying I got kind of bucky about it. But when you're mistreated, if you're schnookered, if you're cheated, you know. And if I mistreat, if I cheat, if I schnooker, God knows. I will not, I hope I will not be a man that on that day says, I preached in your name, I prophesied in your name, I cast out demons in your name, and he says to me, I don't know you. See, the Sermon on the Mount is wonderful. And it's hard. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be answered. You'll find, and the door will be opened. When you ask your father for bread, he won't give you stones. But he often gives you something different than you wanted. He always gives you bread. But it's not always the bread you want. Just speaking this morning with someone, they were asking about my health. And a year ago last week, I thought I was going to be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. And I dreamed of the day when I was 90% better and could hold my Bible again while reading it. I prayed and prayed and prayed for him to take the pain away. And he did, but it took a year plus, and it's not all gone. So did God give me a stone when I asked for bread? No. He allowed pain to transform me in new ways, one of which is I focused so much on the pain that it became almost an idol to me. And he showed me one day, he goes, Trent, it's just pain. You can do pain. The suffering is coming from the fact that you're so focused on the pain that you're not living. You did your duty, but you weren't living. I think, in part, that the Sermon on the Mount is that kind of thing for everyone if we'll listen to it. I'm not supposed to judge others. I'm not supposed to decide whether they go to heaven or hell, but I am supposed to see if there's character. I am supposed to see if there's integrity, and I'm not to be tossing pearls to swine. He there he's saying, those people who come against my disciples who are going to mock and ridicule and imprison and send you away and try to get in your way, and try they're not the people to invest in. 
The people to invest in are like Paul says in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. Take these things you've learned from me and trust them to reliable people who will in turn be able to teach others. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to reliable people, reliable people to others. Four generations. Who are the reliable people? Those who respond. Those who show up. Those who seek, ask, and knock. But every time Jesus addresses how we should treat others, he first asks us, whether implicitly or explicitly, he asks us to examine ourselves. So I have a question. When you've asked God for something and he gave you something else, did you believe he gave you a stone instead of bread? Or were you able to trust that God only gives bread and never gives stones? And that what he gave to you might indeed be what is best for you long term instead of alleviating your frustration, your pain, or your suffering right now? Is it possible that God is always building the house that is you on the rock so that when storm, when the wind rises up, when the, when, when the streams fill up and the, the floods come and the, and the wind starts to push away, you're able to stand? Is it possible that he wants you and me to look at ourselves, confess where we don't trust him and begin trusting him and rely on him completely, his wisdom, not ours. Because the scripture says this, and people get mad at me when I say it, but it is scriptural. For even God's foolishness is greater than all of humanity's wisdom. That means that God, if he were being foolish, is still wiser than any of us or all of us put together. He never gives a stone when you ask for bread. He never gives a snake. Ever. But sometimes he allows what he could prevent. And I whine about it. But if I believe that God only gives me that which might contribute to me being more holy, then I should be able to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, instead of why, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord? And I'm sorry that your lead pastor, the person who preaches the gospel to you most often, had about 12 weeks last year where I was consumed with self I don't think I preached it, but I know what it was like in my prayer room. And this passage happened to come one year after the worst week. And it convicted me. And I hope and pray in a glorious way that it convicts you too. If we're waiting for people that we know will never 
that all evidence says will never be followers of the gospel. They're not going to legislate so that we are shown to be right. Why, are, why do we keep putting our hopes there? That's here. And the hope of the world is here. This is what should matter most. God and his wisdom and what he has to give you and to me, what, 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 what he allows that he could prevent is bread. It is a gift, even when it doesn't feel like it. So I pray for you this week that when the storms rise, when the wind comes up, when the flood is starting to batter against you, when it looks like you will not make it, like all is lost, that you will remember that God has been building you a firm foundation on the rock. And that even though this world has trouble, take heart because he's overcome this world. When you ask him for bread, bread you will receive. Let's pray. Lord, gospel does not feel like, gospel community church having to shut down does not feel like bread. It's a pit in my stomach. And there was great debate and even raised voices when we were talking about it as elders. I thank you. I thank you for the ministry that's been there. I thank you for the lives that have been changed. We're grateful for you choosing us to try something new, courageous. And Lord, I know there'll be a day when we can thank you and mean it for its very short life and has to shut down. But Lord, it's easy to focus on that which did not work in the long run. But it's hard to focus on what you want to die in us. The scripture tells us over and over again to die to self. Lord, we ask you for bread, but what we really want is cake. And so when you do give us bread, it feels like a stone. Help us, Lord, be a people who when you give us that which you want us to have, we say, yes, Lord, and we're grateful. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Now you can say amen. Amen.